Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And a good afternoon to you all. Happy Friday and welcome to another edition of Cresta in the Afternoon. As you can tell, this is not Al. This is Brian Shanley, his producer. Al's a little under the weather today. So we'll be sharing some other interviews with you over the next two hours. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with the work of Lee Strobel. He's written many books. His first couple of books came out close to 25 years ago at this point, uh, The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ. And today we're looking at one of his newer works, which is called The Case for Miracles. A journalist investigates evidence for the supernatural. Uh, what do most Americans think about miracles? How many people have had an experience that can only be explained as divine intervention? And uh, how many of us believe miracles are possible today? Author Lee Strobel joining us. He's done the legwork with a very extensive study on how Americans think about the miraculous. And he's joining us all throughout this first hour. And then in the next hour... How about some secrets for holiness in marriage? Dan and Amber Demite are the authors of The Three Secrets to Holiness in Marriage. And uh, if you want to grow in marriage and your relationship with both God and your spouse, well, they've got some tips for you. They're going to be taking us on a 33-day at-home study for couples who want to improve their entire family's walk with Jesus and incorporate the virtues of poverty, chastity, and obedience to becoming the spouse, parent, and Catholic you've always wanted to be. Uh, they're, like I said, they're the authors of Three Secrets to Holiness in Marriage. And uh, Dan and Amber actually met while serving as missionaries for Net Missionaries back in 2004. Both have done a lot of work in Catholic media, and they uh, are now married with four children. Also, uh, coming up later on in the, in the second hour of the program, we'll be looking at the hidden coincidences of the scriptures with Lydia McGrew. Uh, there's a powerful argument for the historicity of the Gospels that has been, for the most part, forgotten in recent years. And it's how the Gospels, the Book of Acts, and the letters of St. Paul all fit together like pieces of a puzzle. Lydia McGrew joining us with a closer look at these undesigned coincidences and how they strengthen the case for biblical accuracy. Uh, she is the author, author of many books and articles, and she's the author today of Hidden in Plain View, Undesigned Coincidences in the Gospels and Acts. That's all coming up over the next two hours after this news break. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Omni Maria Radio News for Friday, March 3rd. It's the Feast of St. Catherine Drexel. Today's news brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing loving care and assistance for seniors in need. Visitingangels.com. A study released today in Germany finds that the late Cardinal Karl Lehmann, one of the country's leading churchmen, failed for decades to respond to sexual abuse in his diocese. Known as the EVV study, the report identifies more than 600 victims and nearly 400 suspects in the diocese between 1945 and 2019. Layman's current successor, Bishop Peter Kolgraf, says that while Layman had his merits, quote, the protection of perpetrators and the church was more important than the plight of those affected. Law enforcement officials say justice has been served in the Alec Murdoch double murder case. 
Chief of South Carolina Law Enforcement Division Mark Keel said Murdoch was rightfully found guilty for the murders of his wife and youngest son. And today is not the end. It's the next step in a long road to justice for every person who has been victimized by Alex Murdoch. The once wealthy high-profile lawyer was sentenced to life in prison. Multiple religious groups are joining together against a Michigan LGBTQ bill. The Council of American Islamic Relations and the Michigan Catholic Conference are concerned the bill could lead to discrimination against faith-based organizations for their views on biological gender differences and the definition of marriage. They say the primary issue is the language in the bill, noting that 22 states have passed LGBTQ rights and have done so with religious protections. SpaceX Crew-6 mission now docked with the International Space Station. The spacecraft brought two NASA astronauts, a Russian cosmonaut, and the first long-duration astronaut for the United Arab Emirates. From your AveMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. I'm Al Cresta, and the biblical tradition is, of course, a tradition which accepts that God is able to act in ways that we call miraculous, uh, things that have no apparent natural causation occur. We talk about miracles. We talk about answered prayer. We talk about healings. Uh, what's the relationship between all these different uh, phenomena? And uh, in America... Do people still believe in miracles? Uh, we've had people talking about us becoming an increasingly secular society. Is that true? Uh, how many people have had an experience that uh, they can explain only by divine intervention? My guest is best-selling author Lee Strobel. He's the author of The Case for Miracles, a journalist investigates evidence for the supernatural. He was uh, an award-winning legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, and he's the best-selling author of books like The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for a Creator. He's won four gold medallions for publishing excellence. He's co-authored The Christian Book of the Year and serves as professor of Christian thought at Houston Baptist University. You can follow Lee's work at leestrobel.com. That's S-T-R-O-B-E-L. Lee, good to have you back here. Thanks. Ah, my pleasure. Always great to chat with you. Well, let's talk, uh, let's talk miracles here. You lead off the book talking with a skeptic, Michael Shermer, who uh, had it a proportion of his life anyways, uh, considered himself a follower of, of Christ, and then fell away. Tell me a little bit about why you led off the book with Michael. Well, I think it's important for Christians to face squarely the objections of non-believers. And uh, so I challenged Michael Shermer, the founder and editor of Skeptic Magazine, to give me his best shot against miracles. In other words, give me the case against miracles. And I allowed him to do that. And uh, the book actually opens with three chapters and uh, where I tell his story and, and uh, what he says against miracles. Because I, I just think it's a really weak case. And uh, the rest of the book responds to the objections he raises and then builds the affirmative case, which I think is much stronger uh, than the skeptical case. The skeptical case rests on what? The implausibility of miracles, the idea that the evidence uh, for miracles is always going to be weaker 
then the evidence that the reporter of the miracle is mistaken or misperceiving or deceived? Yeah, that's basically it. Um, you know, oftentimes they will invoke the name of David Hume, who's mm-hmm. a um, philosopher uh, from Scotland that lived in the 1700s. And that's basically what he said, that um, he defined miracles as a violation of the laws of nature. And uh, he said, basically, you can't violate the laws of nature. Therefore, any explanation is better than uh, the explanation that a miracle took place. Now, the problem with that is that's not a good definition of a miracle. Right. right um, yeah. you know, if, if, what if definition do you use in the book? Well, um, the way I look at it is this. If I had an apple and I dropped it, um, the law of gravity says it would hit the floor. Mm-hmm. But if I had an apple and dropped it, and you reached in and grabbed the apple before it hit the ground, mm-hmm. you're not violating the laws of, of gravity. You're merely intervening. And so I think it's, it's better to view miracles as an intervention by mm-hmm. God. I think the best definition I've seen is from a philosopher named Richard Pertil, who mm-hmm. said, A miracle is an event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. I think that's a pretty good definition. And so, uh, it com- com- taking it back, that's I do, I like that definition too. So it comes back then to this question, what's more likely, that the God would intervene in that way, or that the person telling you the story about such an intervention is mistaken or has been deceived, people misperceive things all the time, they're not very good reality testers, um, most of us live our lives without thinking too much about... We don't organize our lives for the expectation of miracles, of course, otherwise right. they wouldn't be miracles. So we've got this funny situation where miracles, for the most part, we live as though they're implausible, they're not going to happen today, but maybe someday they would. Why are we ever justified in believing a miracle has happened? I think when we see a situation that is a um, has religious significance, in other words, probably involving prayer to God, mm-hmm. uh, where there is an extraordinary circumstance that unfolds, uh, for which there is no natural explanation that makes sense, and for which we have credible eyewitnesses or medical documentation and some sort of outside uh, affirming source. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that when that situation arises, then that's when the miracle bell goes off for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there need to be a number of features. Then you've got a reliable report. You have a religious context. Uh, what about when you have situations like dreams and visions and revelations? I hear this regularly from uh, people who do evangelism with Muslims. That many Muslims are coming to Christ, and part of the process is dreams, visions, or personal private revelation. Yeah, in fact, I have a whole chapter in my book uh, documenting those instances um, based, uh, um, based on interviews with uh, Tom Doyle, who's a, um, a Middle Eastern missionary for many years. Mm-hmm. And you, we are seeing this phenomenon. You know, see, in Scripture, there's about 200 cases in which God uses visions or dreams uh, to advance his, his agenda. And what we're seeing in, often in a closed Muslim country where the gospel is illegal to be uh, propagated, um, you're seeing cases where Muslims are having these incredible dreams. They're, they're not like other dreams. They're very vibrant. Yep. And Jesus yep. appears to them, tells them that he loves them, tells them that he died for uh, them, which are both very contrary to what they've been taught in Islam. And um, uh, normally what happens, this is what's interesting about them, there's some sort of outside uh, con- confirmation. And by that I mean 
What generally does not happen is the person falls asleep as a Muslim, has a dream about Jesus, and wakes up as a Christian. Usually what happens is Jesus in the dream will point to someone else who will then explain the gospel to them. Interesting. So I'll give you an example. There's a woman named Noor, a mother of several children, a Muslim, lived in Cairo. She had a dream. It was Jesus appeared to her. She felt his love. She felt his grace. It was overwhelming. She said, tell me more. And he said, well, my friend will tell you about me. And Jesus gestures toward a man in her dream. The next day, she's in the crowded marketplace of Cairo, and she sees the man from her dream. She runs up and says, you're the one, you're the one. He said, what are you talking about? You were in my dream. It's the same clothes, the same glasses, the same hair, the same face. That's you. And he said, did you have a dream about Jesus? And she said, yes. He said, well, let, you, let me tell you about him. He was a missionary. <laughs> Praise and, God. And uh, that's, that's what generally happens. And what I like about that is there's some outside uh, authentication to the dream. I think it can be very dangerous for us to to base our decisions and our life on dreams that we may have. Um, sure. uh, that's a little slippery. Um, I think everything has to be tested against Scripture. But when God provides an outside affirmation like that, right. now you begin to think, okay, something miraculous is going on. Yeah, yeah. Now, distinguish, or, or do you distinguish between miracles, answered prayer, these kind of dreams, uh, synchronicity or coincidence? I, I sort of blend them together, um, uh, although I'm careful not to just uh, consider an extraordinary coincidence to be um, necessarily a miracle. Mm-hmm. You know, God normally works through natural processes. That's what he set up. Exactly. He set up the world the way it is. And, and Romans 1 verse 20 says it's through these natural processes that we normally um, recognize the presence and the reality of God. But sometimes he intervenes, sometimes he does the extraordinary, and I think when, it, um, when it's not merely a coincidence, but it, it uh, also has no readily available naturalistic explanation, um, that, that, that to me is what rings that uh, miracle bell. And I have several cases in my book that I document um, where uh, there's a healing that takes place for which there is no natural um, explanation, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's in the context of prayer. And uh, it, it and doctors recognize that it's a miracle. In fact, this is an amazing statistic. Fifty-five percent of American physicians say that they have seen a miracle in their medical practice. That's interesting. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's when you consider Skeptic Magazine says only the uneducated believe in miracles. <laughs> Here you have a majority of physicians. Yeah, yeah. You know, talking about healings here. Uh, we have sort of the flip side of it. What happens when people aren't healed? I think yeah. you mentioned Doug Grudheis's wife. I know you're, right. you've written that your wife suffers from fibromyalgia. Uh, right. I lost a leg, uh, mm. and I, I don't have a limb that's grown back. Um, yeah. So what happens? Uh, why do, does God perform miracles in some instances and not in others? We don't know. Uh, when I've interviewed people who uh, have had a miracle happen to them, and a well-documented miracle, I always ask them, why you? And their answer is always, I don't know. Um, you know, God is sovereign. God's mm-hmm. ways are above our ways. God uh, allows some certain short-term situations to exist for a long-term benefit that we don't see and we don't recognize at this point. Um, you know, I think... It's interesting in Scripture, we, in the first century, uh, healings were not automatic. 
Uh, the Bible says, you know, Matthew says that uh, Jesus didn't do many miracles in Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul had this thorn in the flesh that was never relieved. Um, Paul left Trophimus behind when Paul went off on a journey uh, instead of healing Trophimus. Um, in Matthew chapter 10, the disciples are given the authority to heal, and then seven chapters later, they can't heal an epileptic boy. Mm-hmm. So it, it, healing wasn't automatic then either. And um, uh, so I interviewed, as you say, Douglas Groteis, who's a well-known philosopher whose wife is dying prematurely of dementia. And it's a horrible case. Mm-hmm. And um, But he's able to talk not just from a philosophical perspective, but someone who's actually gone through this kind of personal pain. Right, right. And it, it's, it, to me, it's the most powerful chapter in any of my books. I, I just think there's the wisdom and, and, and um, uh, perspective that he brings to bear is just uh, just powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's been on the program here. We've talked about it. And, oh, have you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it is. I agree with you. It was very moving and powerful story, very edifying. And I think yes. uh, all of us came away from the conversation uh, just continuing to... Uh, be confident that God is there uh, and he is sovereign, even though we we cannot explain his ways uh, in all these particulars. Why do you call the uh, uh, creation itself the granddaddy of miracles? The very fact that something's here, then something is not. Yeah, you know, in a sense, it it doesn't quite fit the definition of a miracle because uh, there was no natural law to be intervened with because <laughs> right. there was no na- right. there was no nature before creation but still it, it is spectacular and uh, i think the evidence of cosmology and physics uh, points powerfully toward the existence of a supernatural creator and i interview for my book a phd from uh, in physics from ucla who um uh, as a professor at a major secular university who builds the case from cosmology and physics that uh, there is a divine creator. Well, Lee, hold it there. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and continue the conversation. My guest is Lee Strobel. He's the author of many best-selling books dealing with uh, presenting evidence for the faith, the case for Christ, the case for faith, the case for creation. We're looking at the case for miracles. We'll be back in just a moment. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor, the Lansing Guild of the Catholic Medical Association. The annual Rose Mass for Catholic healthcare workers will be Saturday, March 18th at Christ the King Church in Ann Arbor, followed by a dinner at Fox Hills Country Club in Plymouth. Email cmalansing at gmail.com for dinner tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. Support for this Ave Maria program comes in part by the not-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Shopping for insurance, mortgage products, Catholic health coverage, identity protection, or financial planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for all those and more. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. In Morse code, the sequence SOS is a distress call when someone's in trouble. It's been said that SOS stands for Save Our Souls. Well, right now, the world is in deep trouble, and we're putting out an SOS call for help. Will you answer the call? St. Paul Evangelization has hundreds of teams of evangelists that go out and share the good news with souls that are in danger of being lost. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and find a team near you so you can answer that distress call. Are you woke or are you awake? 
Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. Make family life the most important activity on your calendar. Parents often worry about losing their kids' hearts to peers, to the culture, or to the media. But simply restricting your kids' access to friends, culture, or media isn't the answer. Spending more time with them is. Kids give their hearts to the people and things they spend the most time with. If we're not making daily family time the most important activity on our schedule, we're effectively giving our kids permission to give their hearts to someone other than us. Putting family time first and scheduling other activities around it is one of the most important practices Catholic families can have. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Crested in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization, Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 75% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. When I heard other business owners say they finally found someone in the credit card industry they can trust, I wondered how he could help me. So when Mark from Schistler CPC offered to show me where all the money goes for credit card processing with a free analysis of my business, I jumped on it. He reviewed how the industry works, where we could save, and offered a no-contract guarantee on savings and excellent customer service. I'm saving thousands of dollars a year. Schistler CPC. Trust in them. More information available on the Ave Maria website under Sponsor Business Directory. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Lee Strobel. He's the author of many, many best-selling books. Uh, in fact, we should go over that, Lee. How did you... I mean, it's amazing what uh, the Lord has done in your life over these years. I'm sure you never anticipated uh, the direction your life would take back <laughs> when you were with the Chicago Tribune. For people who don't know your story, if you could give us the thumbnail sketch of it. Yeah, I was an atheist for much of my life. Um, my background's in journalism and law, so I tend to be a skeptic. And um, uh, my wife was sort of in spiritual neutral. She was sort of agnostic. And uh, through a um, um, friendship that she developed with a Christian nurse, uh, she learned the gospel. She went to church with her. She checked it out, came to me one day and told me the bad news from my perspective that she had become a Christian. And um, I decided, even though I saw positive changes in her character and values, that um, I wanted my old life back. Mm -hmm. I was living a very immoral and drunken and narcissistic uh, life. uh, successful in my career, but mm-hmm. literally drunk in the snow in an alley on Saturday nights. Well, mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I wanted to kind of get I wanted my old life back. I thought if I could disprove the resurrection of Jesus, 
um, I, you know, I could rescue Leslie from this cult that she'd gotten involved in. So um, I, I, I set out to use my journalism and legal training to investigate the evidence uh, for, uh, for and against Christianity and spent two years uh, doing that and ultimately coming to the conclusion that based on the um, uh, avalanche of evidence that points so powerfully toward the truth of the Christian faith that it would take more faith to maintain my atheism right. than yeah. to become a Christian. Yeah. And uh, that's when I repented and, and received forgiveness through Christ. And um, So that was um, uh, really through, largely through the miracle of the resurrection. Um, the historical evidence I found for the resurrection of Jesus is is yeah. quite persuasive. Yeah. And in fact, in my book, The Case for Miracles, I interview a cold case homicide investigator uh, who um, uh, was an atheist, but who uses detective skills to investigate the historical evidence for the resurrection, and like me, ended up becoming uh, a follower of Jesus as a result of that investigation. So I think the evidence is clear and compelling uh, for this miracle of the resurrection. Um, and, and, and I think even more evidence uh, these days for uh, contemporary miracles of God. Yeah. And actually, I think the case for the resurrection has gotten stronger with time. We know, the more we yeah. know about you know uh, the, the, the first century uh, Palestinian Judaism, the more we know about uh, attitudes during the first century, I think the more compelling the case is for the resurrection. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, it's interesting, just not long ago, uh, a lot of atheists had claimed for years that Nazareth didn't even exist in Jesus' <laughs> right, day. Right. And uh, they've now uh, discovered uh, two, at least two houses from uh, Jesus' era in Nazareth that were Jewish homes. So that, again, it was another bit of uh, archaeological evidence. Um, even another discovery in 1968, you know, a lot of skeptics said that uh, crucifixion victims were not buried, right. and therefore Jesus was never in the tomb. Well, in 1968, they discovered uh, an ossuary, a bone box, from a crucifixion victim from the first century with the spike still through his ankle bone, mm. uh, who had obviously been buried. And the Roman Digesta, which is a summary of the uh, Roman law of the day, uh, specifically allowed for the burial of crucifixion victims. So um, that, that that archaeological discovery and an analysis of the Roman Digesta really puts to rest this idea that Jesus was never in the tomb in the first place. You know, even on the pages of the New Testament, we find that there are people wanting to discount the resurrection, uh, arguing that the apostles had stolen the body, his disciples had yeah. stolen the body. And over the centuries, people have tried to develop arguments. There was mass hallucination. Right. Uh, you know, there was the, 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 I remember when I was a kid, there was a book going around called The Passover Plot. Right. Uh, in which the, the resurrection was, or the crucifixion itself was faked. And yeah. I, these, these, um, what, why do these explanations always fall short? Even from a, it seems to me, even from the standpoint of, of a historical perspective, I mean, if, the only way, it seems to me, the only way to, to get away from the resurrection is to start out believing that dead men stay dead. And so you can't, yeah. it's impossible for it to happen. But all the attempts to explain away the empty tomb sound terrible to me. They, they really have fallen short. And, you know, I, I used to think um, as a skeptic that the resurrection was a legend that developed a long time after the death of okay. Jesus, mm -hmm. and, like other mythologies of the uh, ancient world. And yet, you know, we have preserved for us a creed of the earliest church right from the first century 
that the uh, that says Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day, and then it mentions the specific names of eyewitnesses and groups of eyewitnesses to whom he appeared. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we find this in First Corinthians fifteen. Yeah. But yeah. we know that that passage, that creed, can be dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Yes. And so that's you know that's far too quick to be a mere legend. In fact. A.N. Sherwin-White, the great classical historian from Oxford, studied the rate at which legend developed in the ancient world, and he said the passage of two generations of time is not even enough for legend to grow up and wipe out a solid core of historical truth. We don't have two generations of time passing here. we got a newsflash that goes right back to the beginning. So it's not a legend. And it's being (laughs) proclaimed in the presence of hostile witnesses. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And this idea that uh, somehow it was a hallucination, you know, I interviewed experts on hallucinations, and they said hallucinations are like dreams. They happen in individual minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't spread like the common cold. Yeah. Um, and, and so when you have a report, in fact, the earliest report of the resurrection says 500 people saw him at <laughs> once. And by the way, if you don't believe me, they're still alive. Go talk to him yourself. Right. Um, but, you know, 500 people having the same hallucination at the same time would be a bigger miracle than the resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, things, it's fascinating how the the evidence just um, um, uh, supports the resurrection and, and these attempts to discredit it just keep falling by the wayside. Yeah. So was it the resurrection uh, that finally got through to you? Was that the, the fundamental uh, evidence for the... Yeah, uh, it, yeah. it okay. really was, because I figured um, anybody can claim to be the Son of God, as, as Jesus clearly made transcendent and messianic and... Uh, divine claims about himself. At one point he said uh, before a group, I and the Father are one, mm-hmm. and the word in Greek there for one is not masculine, it's neuter, which means Jesus wasn't saying I and the Father are the same person. Mm-hmm. He was saying I and the Father are the same thing. Mm-hmm. We're one in nature, we're one in essence. And the audience got it, they understood it, they said you're a mere man and you're claiming to be God. Right. So Jesus claimed to be God, but you could claim that, I could claim, anybody could make that claim, but if Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, died, and then three days later rose from the dead, that's pretty good evidence he's telling the truth. <laughs> you know? I mean, right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's why I found it persuasive. And, and uh, after two years of looking at the evidence, I just thought, you know, I, I, in order to deny it, I would be like, it would be like swimming upstream uh, against a strong current of a river that's, that's flowing in the mm-hmm. other direction. All yep. this evidence was flowing in a direction, and it, it didn't make any sense to swim upstream against it. Um, it, it. What made more sense is to go in the same direction the evidence is flowing and put my trust in Christ. You partnered with Barner Research to conduct the scientific survey asking Americans about their thoughts on the miraculous. Uh, in fact, I think this book is the first time it's been published, right? This, yes. Yeah. So what did you discover? Well, some really interesting things. Um, first of all, I found that only 15% of Americans believe that miracles are not possible in uh, today. Hmm. And that kind of surprised me, just 15% saying they're not possible. Yeah. That's, that's really a low number. Right. Um, so people are more open than, than we think they are. But the most interesting thing to me was that 38% of American adults said that they have personally had an experience in their life that they can only attribute to a miracle of God. Wow. Now, if you do the math on that, that would mean there'd be 94,792,000 miracles. Wow. So let's say, let's just throw out a number. Let's say 99% of them are mistaken. Let's say 99% are just these amazing coincidences that occur 
you know, once in a long, in a blue moon, and, and uh, they're not really miracles. Well, that would still mean, even if you throw out 99%, that still leaves almost a million miracles. Yeah. So I think miracles are more common than, than a lot of people think. Yeah. I, I encourage people to tell their stories all the time, because I, I do think that, that we get the impression that uh, the, the, the society around us uh, doesn't will think us fools if we talk about these experiences in our lives. But the only way for us to reestablish uh, an intellectual environment in which uh, miracles are plausible is to talk about what's happened in our lives. Uh, and I, I so I, I'm 38 uh, percent. Heck, that's quite a quite an incredible number. And then if you get rid of 99 percent of them, you still got a number of people out there that can help change the intellectual environment. Yeah, I think that's true. And then, as I mentioned, this statistic with physicians, you know, yeah. 55% say yeah. they've seen a miracle. And, and three-quarters of physicians, which is a higher percentage than the, extra, than the general population, are convinced that miracles can occur today. Wow. So, you know, it's interesting that um, even people familiar with how healing takes place uh, are, are among the most vociferous in saying that uh, miracles are still occurring. When people refer to miracles, are they generally referring to healings? Often so, yeah, yeah. That uh, although I've I've seen all kinds of them and uh, miracles, and uh, but often it's a it's, it's an extraordinary healing um, that takes place for which there is no natural explanation. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I give you an example? Yeah, please do. The one that I uh, blew me away uh, that I studied extensively, interviewed the woman involved and people involved, and for which we have extensive medical records going back decades and um, for the Mayo Clinic and uh, two doctors have written books about the case saying it was a, clearly a miracle. Her name was Barbara, Barbara Snyder. She um, uh, was dying of multiple sclerosis. She deteriorated for several years uh, after several surgeries. She's in hospice. She's dying. There's a no resuscitation order. She um, has a tube in her throat so she can breathe. She's curled up like a pretzel. Um, um, she has a tube in her stomach so she could eat. She's lost control of her urination and bowels. Wow. She's blind virtually. All she could see are shapes, uh, gray shapes. Uh, she hadn't walked in seven years, so her legs had totally atrophied. And um, somebody called the local radio station in Chicago where she lived and said, pray for Barbara. She's on her deathbed. And we know that 450 Christians began praying for her because they wrote letters saying they were. And um, so Barbara has two friends over. She's confined to her bed and, and, and hospice, and two friends come over to read her some of the letters that they've received. And um, uh, Barbara hears a voice of God saying, get up, my child, and walk. Whoa. Which is like, it's like me saying to you, get up and fly. It's like, no, <laughs> right, it's not right. possible. You can't fly. She couldn't get up and walk. She hadn't walked in seven years. Her legs had atrophied. She was on her deathbed. But she literally pulls out the tube from her throat. She jumps out of bed. She, um, her eyesight is instantly returned. Her lung capacity is instantly returned. One lung had been collapsed and the other was 50% collapsed. Her lung capacity came back. Her, um, um, her hands uncurled and her feet uncurled from this pretzel position they've been in for years. Her mother comes running in, falls to her knees, feels her legs and says, your calves are back. Wow. Your muscles have returned. Wow. So two doctors have written books about it because they said this this is medically impossible. This is a miracle of God. Okay. You've got the summary in the book, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Lee Strobel, my guest, will be back in just a moment. Deacon Skin and Surgery is a comprehensive dermatology center on the border of Troy and Rochester Hills, south of M59 and in Dearborn, west of Telegraph. 
Beacon Skin and Surgeries perform full skin exams and focus on the diagnosis and treatment of all types of skin cancer and precancerous lesions. All are board certified dermatologists and fellowship trained surgeons. Call 248-852-1900. Beacon Skin and Surgeries, a beacon for patient care. 248-852-1900. Another year has come and gone. And whether you like it or not, Uncle Sam requires you to make an accounting. Perhaps it's time to call Myler and Zipka. They work with you to legally minimize your tax bill and identify ways to reduce future taxes. Eliminate the nagging feeling that you're paying more taxes than you need to. Call Ken Zipka today at 734-930-5500. Myler and Zipka. Integrity, excellent value, and people dedicated to a long-term relationship. 734-930-5500. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. In 2005, my sister experienced a brain injury, leaving her unable to speak for herself and make her own decisions regarding medical care. Since she had not established a health care agent by creating a health care durable power of attorney, the courts decided to leave the medical decisions to Michael, Terry's husband. Because of this, Michael was able to remove Terry's food and water, dehydrating and starving her to death by court order. There are many reasons why someone may need a feeding tube, such as an illness or injury, that leaves a patient with difficulty swallowing. Usually, feeding tubes are short-term solutions until the patient can swallow on their own. St. Pope John Paul II clarified that food and water by tube is basic care owed to patients and not a medical act. We never know when you or a loved one may be faced with an injury. I urge you to have a conversation with your family and to identify a healthcare agent to make sure your life wishes are known and to take the step of finalizing a health care power of attorney. It could very well save your lives. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, weekdays on Ave Maria Radio. The AP is now saying that news people cannot refer to pregnancy resource centers as pregnancy resource centers or crisis pregnancy centers. They have to refer to them as anti-abortion centers. Because we're misleading the public by saying that they're offering resources, apparently. It is about consistently putting forth a culture of death, do anything you want sexually, being extremely woke every time you turn around. This is more proof that all they care about is their own agenda. And they're doing this to their own demise. If you look at the ratings, for example, of CNN, if you look at the subscription rates, right, of various newspapers, whether it's online or still hard copy in in print, continuing to decrease... And yet they do not care because it's about the agenda. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Weekday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. My dad, sharp as a tack, but getting him out for a dentist trip got harder every year. When he moved to the senior residence where he lives now, Dr. Mansour's portable dental service was a godsend. Dr. Mansour comes to wherever the homebound patient may be, whether in a nursing facility or the comfort of home. All the services you'd expect in a dentist office brought straight to the patient's door. Call 586-873-5567. That's 586-873-5567 or portabledentalservices.com. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844 398 9399. That's 844 398 9399. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Lee Strobel. 
the author, most recently, of The Case for Miracles, a journalist investigates evidence for the supernatural. You know, we were talking earlier about how many people in America uh, say that uh, they've had a personal miracle in their life. They identify a personal miracle. And the number of doctors that acknowledge the possibility of miracles or that they've seen miracles. Uh, you also mention in the book a theologian, Roger Olson, who confesses yeah. that many American churches are embarrassed by the supernatural. <laughs> and yet the believers themselves don't seem all that embarrassed by it. What, what, what's going on here? Well, you know, he makes an interesting point. He says, you know, in America, a lot of Christians uh, want to be seen as respectable. Mm -hmm. They want their neighbors not to think that they're, you know, as part of this um, weird stuff they see on television with these faith healers. And and, uh, we're just normal people like everybody else, but we believe in Jesus. Um, And so they tend to downplay the supernatural. They tend to downplay the role of the Holy Spirit in everyday life. Uh, their churches tend to not invite this kind of activity of God in their midst, and um, they tend to, to talk it down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, some people, you know, are, are reluctant to pray for a healing because they figure, well, what if it doesn't happen? Right. And I'm gonna right. Be embarrassed That's, and yep. I'm going to feel bad. I remember uh, five years ago, I was I was uh, very ill and and um, uh, uh, hospitalized and. It was interesting when people would come to pray for me, what, what most of them would pray was for my pain to be relieved, for doctors to have the wisdom to diagnose it, the surgeon uh, to have skillful hands. Few of them came out to actually pray, God, heal this man. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and yet James tells us to, we're to anoint people with oil and right. to pray for them and yep. uh, for their healing. And um, uh, so I think a lot of people just kind of, they don't want to be embarrassed by praying that way, and then nothing happens, and right. they walk away going, golly, I guess I failed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, had the, I had that experience, too, many years ago. I finally got to the place where I, I figured I'm going to pray, and uh, the truth is I'm not going to take credit if there's a healing, and I'm not going to take the blame if there isn't. So. Right, <laughs> right. That's a good way to put it. It's not ultimately God, my problem. God's deal. <laughs> right. That's right. Right. Um, do you did you do anything with near death experiences in the book? I really don't. Uh, it's, it's a different topic. I, I didn't really sure. get into that. My friend John Burke just did a major book on that. Okay. Uh, that was, was fascinating. But um, yeah, I, I don't get into near death experiences. Okay. Uh, what about prayer? These so called prayer studies that have been done. They've always yeah. struck me as they're interesting, but I've I've never been able to figure out how you control for the variables. I mean, well, exactly <laughs> yeah. right, and this has always bothered me because the way they set up is you have a, a groups of um, uh, people who are recovering from, say, heart surgery, and they're broken down into groups. One group is prayed for uh, by Christians, another group is not prayed for, and um, and and then you, you you kind of look at the difference in the recovery rates. And the problem, as you say, is how do you how do you prevent people from praying for some of the people in the no prayer group? They're yeah. certainly probably praying for themselves. And they probably have relatives who are praying for them. So it's really hard to kind of control for those variables. Yeah. I mean, but, how do you, how do you determine the, the efficacy? How, you know, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, how do you measure that? I mean, who's, yes. <laughs> who's, now, who's now, the effective prayer the, warrior? Right. What's interesting is when I interviewed the, the skeptic Michael Shermer for my book, he challenged me and said, you know, there was a study um, um, done um, similar to one I just described, 
and it showed that there was no effect, zero effect of prayer, even though other studies have shown that even despite these problems with controlling for variables, that there is an impact of prayer positively mm-hmm. on the recovery of, of, of patients. But this other big study showed no result um, at all, and he challenged me with that. But then I did the re- research, and what I found was that the Christians in that study who did the praying were not really Christians. They were part of a non-Christian sect oh, interesting. That, that did not believe that God can do miracles, did not even believe in a, in a personal God, oh my did not <laughs> even believe that prayers should be, um, that people should ask God for things. And uh, they were the only group that could get to cooperate with the study, and so they were doing the praying. Well, the study means nothing in terms of authentic Christian prayer. Right, right. Well, you've done a lot of these kind of books, and I really, it's, it's been a remarkable, uh, the tremendous uh, amount of good, the number of people who have come to faith in Christ because of your, your, your manner, your style, your investigative work. Um, Thank you. How's it affecting you? After all these years, it really strengthens my faith. Yeah. It really does. When I when I launched on this uh, two year investigation of miracles, um, I, I was I thought I'd see some evidence for some supernatural activity and so forth. But what I found just blew me away. When I interviewed Craig Keener, yeah. who's a scholar uh, in this area, who's written a huge two volume um, scholarly analysis yeah. of modern miracles. I've, I've got it. Uh, it's huge. You're right. Oh, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> and and he is such a wonderful, dear yeah. follower of Christ. Just yeah. a great man. And and uh, to sit down with him and, and to listen to uh, the results of his uh, extensive research and so forth, um, it just it just made me ever more in awe of God. Uh, just just in awe. It just it just brings you to your knees and says God is so much more powerful than we than we tend to think he is, and so much more loving than we we tend to think he is. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know it. it it's not surprising that um, um, a lot of non-Christians are pointed toward Christ because of evidence of the miraculous taking place. You know, I've I, uh, been a follower of Christ since the mid-1970s and been working in, in uh, Christian media for a long time. And I'm, you know, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the we're, overall... Christians are doing a much better job today reaching various people groups. The publishing is sharper. The designs are sharper. The the presentations, the media presentations are better. Do you, how effective do you think we are actually being in this new audience that we're facing, the so-called postmodern world? Well, it's a good question. I think that um, we're in on the cusp of a golden age of Christian apologetics, mm-hmm. uh, where, as you say, we're, we're, we're having better scholarship, um, uh, sharper arguments, uh, um, stronger evidence. Um, we're presenting it in a more compelling and, and powerful way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, where people are willing to consider the evidence, uh, we see great results. You know, I think in, in Australia, uh, a church rented a movie theater and showed my movie, The Case for Christ, yeah. which is my story of going from atheism to faith, and it includes some of the evidence for the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And 22 people came to faith right yeah. there in the theater. Right there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you see that kind of thing happening where people respond to the evidence if they're willing to not have a um, supernatural, anti-supernatural presupposition. Right. In other words, rule it out at the outset. And when they're really willing to look at the evidence and consider it, 
Um, uh, and at the same time, though, we're seeing a lot of people who are conflating ev- uh, facts with feelings. That mm. uh, you know, we we live in a feeling culture. Yep. That, uh, you know, I feel this is true, and and uh, you know, well, no, truth is what aligns with reality, right. and uh, regardless of what our feelings are toward it. Um, but you know, unfortunately, that um, uh, that's a kind of a prevailing attitude toward a lot of in a lot of people that feelings are what are important. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, and that's in a sense the it, for people who are organ or organizing their life according to their feelings. Uh, reality testing isn't important because the only reality they're interested in right. is how they feel, how it makes them feel. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly right. And and so, you know, I I tell you who I love. I love engineers, doctors, lawyers, pilots, <laughs> these people who think logically, computer programmers, because yeah. they all think very logically. And 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 I know if I can just present the evidence for them, it becomes very compelling for them. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's that's a certain mindset. Lee, let me thank you again for all your work and for joining me today. Uh, well, thanks, keep yeah. it up. It's, uh, it's always wonderful to talk to you, and I wish you continued uh, success. And, uh, and again, love of God be with you. You too. God bless you and your listeners. Lee Strobel is the author most recently of The Case for Miracles, a journalist investigates evidence for the supernatural. And, again, does a, a marvelous job. Yeah, this is one of those things. He mentioned Craig Keener, for instance, a uh, scholar who, I don't know how many years ago now, it's not that long, five years maybe, published a big two-volume work looking at miracles in the uh, scriptures, a, a very serious examination of them. Something we learned, uh, you, here's a little, little tidbit from the history of New Testament scholarship. Way back in the uh, 1800s, early 1800s, there were people trying to argue that the miracles of the New Testament were invented or that they were legendary. Now, as time went on, that argument became increasingly implausible. You can't the, the, the strip away this, strip away that, and you, what you come back to is a miracle-working uh, Jesus, uh, he exercises demons, right? He heals. And there was no way of coming, finding a Jesus in which that wasn't part of his uh, character. That's, that's his presentation. So as time went on, New Testament scholarship actually grew more conservative. They began in the last 50 years. People have taken, for instance, the the idea of eyewitness testimony now is taken all the more seriously uh, because more, a careful analysis of the uh, gospel documents have shown that there are little details that uh, can't possibly have any significance unless the document was written by somebody who was there. So there's more and more evidence that the Jesus of that we encounter in the New Testament is a miracle-working, uh, exercising uh, personality. Now, I'm speaking here just strictly from a naturalistic perspective. I'm not talking here about the influence of the Holy Spirit or personal illumination. I'm talking about if you just look at the academic work, you do end up with a Jesus who's a, quote, miracle worker. And this is troubling. It was troubling to many people who wanted a more, quote, rational Jesus or a more 
parable-type Jesus or a teaching Jesus, but they didn't want this kind of guy running around casting out demons, for heaven's sakes, and you know, healing people. and It's kind of embarrassing to a certain type of clergyman. The good news is that within historic, certainly within Catholicism, the authentic Jesus of the New Testament remains very much alive. And within conservative Protestantism, there's been a great recovery of this miracle-working Jesus as authentic. So, even apart from the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit, there's rational evidences and empirical, uh, rational argument and empirical evidences that ought to strengthen our confidence that we who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into a miracle-working being. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. Fire on the Earth, Peter Herbeck. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And one of the things that he meant by that was the Christian people understand the larger story that's unfolding in history. So as St. Paul said, as the saints echoed very clearly, we're now living through just a, a short moment, a slight momentary affliction, he calls it, in this life, which is going to make way and lead us to an eternal glory beyond all compare. The secret to the fruitfulness and the strength of the apostles was that they lived with a clear vision of the future, an eternal perspective, fixed on the destiny of where their life was headed. And they lived with the realization that, wow, yeah, life is very short here. Everything is temporary. Nothing here in this world is ultimately going to last except the ultimate destinies, the eternal destinies of every human being that exists on the earth. And they knew that whether good things were coming their way or bad things from the world's perspective were coming away, nothing could steal from them, nothing could take away the gold that was in their heart, the treasure that they bore. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter Herbeck spreads fire on the earth, weekday mornings at 6.30 and again at 11.45 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. Thanks for being with us in that hour. If you go to AveMariaRadio.net, you can follow up on the material from that discussion with uh, Mr. Lee Strobel. We'll have his book there on the miracles and a few of his other books as well. You can, of course, find his uh, his books at pretty much any uh, Catholic or Christian bookstore. We'll have most of his works available for you. Uh, coming up in the next hour, Dan and Amber Demite have some secrets for holiness and marriage for us. And also we'll be taking a dive into the scriptures with Lydia McGrew. Um, as you heard in the news today is, of course, the Feast of St. Catherine Drexel. She's got a very interesting story. I did not know much about her until I was reading about her earlier this afternoon. Um, comes from a very uh, well-known family in the Philadelphia area. 
and her mother died when she was young, and her father remarried. And there's an article at Catholic Exchange that we'll also have shared for you on our website and on our social media pages, which is a letter that her father wrote to his new wife, which is Catherine's stepmother. And um, something about it that really struck me. He writes, We have received many and various blessings. Let us not be forgetful of them, but in the time to come, may we show by our punctuality in approaching the Blessed Sacrament and the attention and devotion that we are manifesting and praying for it, that we appreciate the means of salvation which have been designed to sustain our spiritual life. May our hearts be continually directed towards Him who suffered and died and gave us His flesh for our life. When tempted, let us instantly call on our Blessed Mother. She is our friend and she helps us. God has also bestowed on us abundance. Continue your charities in His name. Be the dispenser of His gifts and let us also extend the charity of thought towards those who offend us. In conclusion, my dear one, let me wish you a happy new year indeed, a strength to bear all the little trials that may befall you. May your warm, tender, loving heart beat yet more tenderly towards your own loving and affectionate husband, pardoning him his faults and sustaining him in his trials, and thus make a home a heaven here below. I really enjoyed that for a couple of reasons. One, his obvious devotion for the Blessed Sacrament, which is something we should all be keeping in mind, certainly any time of our any time as Catholics, but even more so over the next year and a half as we ramp up to this National Eucharistic Congress. Also, it's just another great example. We hear a lot about the saints. We don't always know about the saints' families, but in this case, another uh, saint who was greatly formed into a saint by her home life. Again, you can find that article at AveMariaRadio.net. More to come in the next hour on Cresta in the Afternoon. <laughs> 